Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette, and today I'm chatting to Jess Griffiths. She's the clinical lead at BEAT, the UK eating disorder charity. We're going to be chatting about Eating Disorder Awareness Week and binge eating. Do you mind starting off um, by telling us a bit about your own experience of eating disorders? Um, because I noticed sort of on your own website and with your own details on your Twitter, um, you've got a history yourself. Are you all right to chat a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So I think my journey with eating disorders started from the age of about 11. Um, I actually suffered with binge eating disorder first um, through my teenage years and then I guess went through to kind of sick form and was was very overweight, lost a lot of weight and kind of, I guess, plunged into the grips of anorexia and then bulimia. And then made a full recovery actually at the age of about 21, 22. Um, and I didn't actually talk about it or get any help till I was about 19. So I, I spent a lot of time through my teenage years really suffering in silence and didn't feel I could talk to anyone about it. And, and even recovery, I found it was one of the hardest things I've done in my whole life because you have to eat. You know, I guess when it comes to other, you know, if you can call them addictions or coping mechanisms such as drugs and alcohol, obviously very difficult for people to recover from as well. But when it comes to eating, you have to learn that middle ground of how much is enough, when to eat, when you're actually hungry. And so I think when I got better and worked really hard through my recovery, I just wanted to help other people. I wanted to ensure that people could have those conversations, you know, especially young people could reach out for support if they needed it. So my husband kind of characterizes my career as making a career out of a crisis and that 
<laughs> I, I kind of forged my way through my life by obviously, you know, my own story. But I think that's, you know, drives everything I do is that, you know, I really want to give other people understanding, you know, particularly health professionals. And so, um, yeah, that was my journey and, and then trained as a therapist as well. So um, I really wanted to be able to offer clinical skills. There's not enough people who work in an eating disorders. So trained as a therapist and now you know, work alongside people on a one-to-one, work alongside families, but also work for people as their clinical lead. Hmm. It must really help as well, having that experience yourself. And I mean, it's, you know, obviously really difficult that you've been through those three eating disorders, but it must also really be helpful for people that you're supporting that you've actually been there yourself, I'd have thought. Yeah, I think it really builds that element of trust. They really know that, you know, when I say something, I really mean it or I reframe it and say, you know, I don't, you know, not everyone's journey is the same, you know, recovery, but quite a lot of what they're going through, I I get it and I understand. And so I think when it comes to challenging maybe and, you know, building that relationship, um, therapeutic relationship, I think it makes it really strong. And I, you know, I would say that, you know, lived experience in the realm of eating disorders isn't used enough, really. I think we've still got a long way to go. Obviously, we don't want to sort of trigger anyone listening to this podcast. We have people with all different sort of mental health issues. Um, But are you all right to sort of tell us a little bit about sort of what those three different eating disorders looked like? Not not in great deal and like not in triggering detail, but I suppose maybe parents or friends might want to know from the outside what to look out for, I suppose. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, I'll start with binge eating disorder because I think that's probably one that's known least about really. And I think it's really important to recognize that it's not emotional overeating. All of us have a relationship with food, whether we consider that healthy or not. Um, it's not kind of just eating a few extra chocolates or eating a box of chocolates you know, now and then. This is driven, binge eating disorder, the behaviors are driven by a real underlying distress uh, and quite often another mental health issue. So 75% of people suffering with an eating disorder would have depression underlying their eating disorders. So this really difficult distress that a person's feeling, they would then, I guess, use food as a coping mechanism to deal with that distress, to deal with that really difficult noise in their heads. And I guess with binge eating disorder in, in particular, um, you know, it could be people that are normal weight, overweight, and it's so, I guess it's, you know, it's so impulsive, you know, they would eat anything. It's not eating treats or things that we can consider nice. You know, I've, I've met people who would eat frozen food in an, you know, in, in a short amount of time. And I guess they would describe that once they're eating, they feel this kind of sense of relief, a bit like, I guess, you know, the tensions released from that moment before that was building up to the binge. And then I guess that kind of guilt and shame creeps in around what they've done. Um, and, I, and I guess when it comes to binge eating disorder, you we think that maybe, I don't know, there's perceptions out there that people are greedy. Um, but actually their thoughts, their preoccupation around food, weight and shape is just as intense as any of the other eating disorders. And, and so... You know, so, so often when people present with binge eating disorder and, and saying, I'm thinking around food, they're quite often signposted to losing weight or anything. But that's actually the worst thing you can do to focus on losing weight is actually it would just kind of increase the binging episodes. So I guess, you know, it's that 
real um, binging episodes that are happening maybe a couple of times a day, quite typically in the evenings, and you know, might be hiding food, might be stealing food. You know, it, it feels on some levels like a bit of an addiction in that in that respect. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I wanted to ask as well, did you find that you sort of had more support and maybe more sympathy for the bulimia that you suffered in the anorexia you suffered rather than binge eating disorder? Yeah, a hundred percent. I did. As soon as I, you know, I real I realized that I was underway, I got help straight away. And thankfully I received help. I was at university at the time. Um, and you know, I was seen within within a month. So I know I'm incredibly lucky because that's not the story for everyone. Uh, but I think, you know, we we're doing um, through Beats. We've got Eating Disorders Awareness Week coming up, um, and we're talking about binge eating disorder in particular. And we've got this focus group, and we're you know, we're hearing stories of people suffering with binge eating disorder, and some of the encounters they've had trying to reach out for support. You know, horrendous in terms of you know being labelled as overweight and, and obese, and, and that it's just a physical problem, not a mental health condition. So. I would say generally it's my experience, but from listening to others, you generally get the most support if you're particularly suffering with anorexia. And actually that's only about eight or 9% of cases of eating disorders. It's the least common eating disorder out of the three. Mm. Yeah. We've had Hope Virgo on here a couple of times. She's a brilliant sort of mental health campaigner talking about her. Um, sorry. I'm talking about her dump the, st- the scales campaign because um, of the way that, many in the medical profession will still very much think of eating disorders as a, you know, it's a problem if you're a very low weight um, and, you know, people not thinking that you can be maybe a, a normal weight, but still actually be struggling with an eating disorder. So it's yeah, still think, a real problem, isn't it? Absolutely. I think one of my classic phrases is that you can't measure someone's distress by their physical condition or their physical weight. Um, you know, it, it's that this morbid preoccupation. It's those incessant thoughts around food, weight, and shape that need to be the measure of this mental illness. Mm. Um, so, you work as the clinical lead for um, Eating Disorders Charity Beats, as well as being yeah. a practitioner. Um, what exactly does that mean, and what do you do in that role? Well, I, I think I'm still discovering, but <laughs> it's it's really wide and varied. Um, I work across all sections of the charity. So obviously, like today, I might be a spokesperson uh, for media requests, talking about eating disorders you know, in articles and newspapers and things like that. But um, I'm heavily involved in creating new services. So we have a services arm of the charity and particularly over this last year during COVID, what we're finding is that the eating disorder services in the NHS are really stretched mm. and not everyone's able to access treatment just because it's such a busy time. And you might well have also seen in the media that we're having an extraordinary amount of referrals and, and people developing eating disorders over the pandemic. Mm. So we've been really busy creating some services um, for more kind of low risk and early intervention cases, I guess. Um, we got some funding from the lottery to be able to do that. So it's a really exciting time at the charity at the minute because we're actually creating and um, helping to kind of create these new services and make sure more people are receiving the, the support that they need. Mm. Um, but it basically, yeah, we've only got we've got a few clinicians on staff, but I'm just I, I guess have oversight for all aspects of the charity, making sure that the clinical inputs sound and evidence based. Mm. 
Yes, and you must have real insight because your own sort of, you describe yourself as being recovered, which is brilliant. Um, So you must have real insight from that. Were there key things that helped you with your recovery? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think key things for me were... Um, well, I, I guess, you know, I, I was seen at um, the eating disorder service here in Dorset, which is where I live. So, you know, regular weekly sessions were really important. But I think, I, I mean, I engaged in therapy. I wanted to get better, um, but I was still underweight. And I think after about 18 months of going along to sessions, I finally I suppose, let the penny drop that I couldn't recover while still being very underweight. So for me, the journey was, I guess all about you know working alongside my therapist engaging in that therapeutic relationship trusting her I had to trust her more than I trusted the eating disorder and and anyone else really to to understand that actually I had had to get better and, and weight restore but I think for me I was really lucky in family support my mum and dad were absolutely brilliant um they would admit they had their own issues that maybe came out through this process, but they took responsibility for that. And I think they also learned how to journey alongside me without trying to control me, but without letting me flounder. And I think they had some excellent support around them, which made such a difference. But I also had a really close friend who had been through bulimia. And so that peer support aspect, which I guess I bring now to a lot of the work I do was so crucial to maintaining hope this illness feels so hopeless you know you can wake up and just feel awful and feel like you're back to square one so finding that hope on a daily basis I think is crucial yeah I'm really glad actually that um that beats um focus of eating disorders awareness a week which is March the 1st to 7th isn't it um, yeah, that's right. Is is about um, binge eating disorder because I think it doesn't get spoken about enough, and I don't think a lot of people sort of really understand it enough. And um, yeah, I think we need a lot more discussion about it. Um, it's something that I've been sort of struggling with for the past. I don't know even know how long, but um, and it's it's one of these things that sort of it took me a very long time to actually even accept that I had it, if that makes sense. And I don't know if this is something that other people who've had eating disorders sort of have just actually saying that I actually have a problem because I think for me also having bipolar disorder it sort of took me years with bipolar disorder to just be like oh yeah this is this thing that I have and this thing that I manage and so I think initially I was just like oh like another thing you know like is this is this, is this another thing that I also need to deal with um and also because I think maybe because it's not like um, anorexia where there's nobody sort of, I'm not going to the doctor and they're saying, or oh, we're, we're very worried about your size. You, you know, you need to do something. It's exactly the opposite. So I'd be going to the doctor and they'd be saying, oh, your blood pressure is a bit high. You desperately need to lose weight, but they don't really offer you any kind of support on how to lose it. Um, because I knew that it wasn't to do with the actual food, if that makes sense. So like yeah. I've done lots of diet clubs. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really difficult one. It is, but it's so brilliant that you're willing to talk about it. I think the more that people talk about it and are open about it, the more we can break down this stigma of, of what it's like to have binge eating disorder. But I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's, it's so confusing this illness, isn't it? Because, you know, like I say, we have to eat and we have so many, well, so many 
bits of information around what we should be eating, how we should be exercising, that it gets really confused. Um, and I think, you know, the stigma attached to actually admitting you've got an issue surrounding by all this pressure to actually lose weight and and to look a certain way means that it takes a long time for, for people to be able to admit it. And there aren't maybe enough people out there who will endorse it. So there's a real fear around being rejected if you do talk about it and admit it because the reality is so many people have had difficult experiences when they have talked about it mm. so sadly yeah you, you, your journey's not unusual but obviously that's you're right we want to highlight that during eating disorders awareness week to make it um make these conversations easier to have um one of the things i'm doing for eating disorders awareness week is writing sections of the website mm. around you know for carers and friends to say how do you have these conversations with someone how can you make them feel more at ease so that we can open up these conversations more i definitely relate to what you sort of said earlier about the the difficulty of um the whole thing around food really because i remember i got into this habit of um sort of every day after work, pretty much going to this one fast food place um, and binging and sort of throughout the day, I'd be thinking, well, everything's going to be all right as long as I have this food at the end. And it's the same with weekends. I'd be like, well, I was finding everything very sort of overwhelming, but everything will be all right as long as I have enough food in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it's <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite difficult. And it's, it's, it's complex as well, because I think it's, you know, in treatment, for instance, unpacking some of the meaning behind food and how it, you know, whether it's even feeling joyful, you know, foods to go to. So it's for any kind of emotion, you know, the eating is the thing that comes and soothes or numbs. Um, and, and, you know, and it's it something you think about all the time you know when I you know from my own experience and talking to others you're thinking about it all day how am I going to get that food or you know how am I going to make sure I've got enough food in the cupboard like you said it, it forms the whole structure of your day when mm. you're in the grips of it takes up a lot of your mind definitely and like you said it, it isn't always sort of the negative ones it is there's so much sort of association with you know it was you know I was depressed probably partly because of the bipolar disorder, but sometimes I'd just be a bit sad or depressed and so I'd eat. But then also, yeah, something good had happened and you want to celebrate so you'd so you'd also eat. And and also I suppose I realised it had become a problem because I'd it it wasn't sort of eating sort of a, at a any sort of normal level. It was just continuing. Like I think the the person I sort of compare myself to is like an, as a normal eater is my dad, who's very normal in terms of his eating. So he can eat anything he likes and then he just stops when he's full. But I just don't have that, especially if I'm, yeah, if I've been sort of very emotional or I'm in a binge, you know. Yeah. And I think that's why diets hasn't, haven't sort of, well, they just can't work for me because you'd sort of get to a place where if you were sort of maybe a normal eater, you'd feel full. And so these diets will talk about have a certain amount of protein, then you'll feel full and that'll be fine for them. But but I'd, I would feel full, but then I just want to keep eating and eating and eating and eating. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, typically we would say that that's in a, you know, that kind of emotional need is driving the physical hunger. It's all kind of got intertwined. And I think, you know, this is where the worst thing that could happen if someone's got binge eating disorder is to be put on a diet because it's only going to absolutely escalate the symptoms I suppose, you know, this is where, you know, people, you know, well, you know, what the, the, the treatment for binge eating disorder is, there is no expectation of weight loss, the evidence-based treatment in, 
because we don't want people with binge eating disorder to feel physically hungry because it, it just would exacerbate all those symptoms. That's really interesting. Can we talk a bit um, about sort of binge eating disorder in terms of who it affects? Is it, um, do you know if it's sort of men as, as equally as women or is it sort of more generally women? No, it's pretty much equal in terms of um, men and women, actually. And, you know, I don't know if you know, but it actually only became a recognised mental health condition in 2013. Oh, wow. So actually, it's really new in terms of research and, and evidence and all things like that. 2013, it's so unbelievable in some ways. Um, so we're learning a lot more about it as we go, obviously, but, you know, I guess typically you would say, you know, more kind of 18 plus, but I, I you know, as, as in my own experience, I was suffering it from it from the age of 11. So I still think we've got a long way to do in terms of research around prevalence mm-hmm. and, and who's affected the most. So what can people do if they think that they sort of relate to maybe any of the stuff that we've been chatting about? Um, what can they do in terms of getting help or getting more information? So I think the most important thing is, to reach out and talk to someone and to have that conversation and you know the beat helpline that we've got that I'm sure we can put out um at the end um you would ring through and get some very sound advice um on this but also talking to someone that you really trust a good friend is a good start too um we we also have a, a GP leaflet that we're going to be remodeling for eating disorders awareness week to actually I suppose show people and give them some sort of indication on how to have that conversation with your GP because you know sadly we know that doctors on the whole only get about two hours training in all the eating disorders in their whole career so Mm -hmm. obviously we want to you know prevent any kind of negative interaction with a health professional so you know access all our leaflets and download anything that might be helpful but my main message would be the sooner you reach out for support the better your chance chances are of recovery Mm. and obviously there's a the whole section on this um on the beat website as well um where you've yeah. got sort of testimonials from people who've been through um similar things which i think really helps because as you said um peer support and and also yeah hearing from other people who've been through the similar things can sort of help you yeah. feel less alone generally as it, as with many other mental health things Absolutely. I think the thing that struck me when we were doing the focus groups for eating disorders awareness week, so everything we've written and all the marketing and um, everything we're bringing out for for eating disorders awareness week has been run by the focus group. And it really touched me because they just said, oh, even being part of this focus group and just being able to meet other people, I've never talked to anyone else who's had binge eating disorder. And that gives you some indication of how little provision there is out there Mm. that actually just running a focus group had such an impact Mm. on on people um so we've also got um an online support group as well called nightingale which is particularly for people with binge eating disorder as well Mm -hmm. um and there's Um, all on the website oh pretty and there's also overeaters anonymous isn't there um yeah absolutely there's you know it's well worth looking um on the beat help finder because they have all you know support groups anything in your area you know whether that's over you know overeaters anonymous or other support groups the main thing is is to get some support get someone alongside you in whatever capacity you can you know all of these agencies are really helpful in yeah just allowing people to talk openly about what's going on for them brilliant um is there anything else you'd like to add um at all 
I think possibly the only thing is just, you know, for friends and family and carers out there is, you know, to be really looking into the signs and symptoms of this eating disorder as well. We typically, we know that people with any of the eating disorders find it really hard to initiate that conversation. So if you notice some of these signs and symptoms in in one of your friends or family, obviously having that conversation might feel really daunting but we just really encourage you to look at the guidance on the website to think through how you might have that conversation because actually so often we hear from people that if that's done in the right way that actually that can make such a difference to someone's outcome and journey if they feel like someone's noticed um and and is coming alongside them Mm. but we tend to hear from friends and family that they just didn't know how to have that conversation they felt too awkward about it whereas Mm. we'd also also suggest that if you've got concerns as a carer please do also ring the helpline because we can talk you through that it is a difficult one though isn't it because i mean i suppose um i don't know so much about the other eating disorders but binge eating disorder for me was definitely a very secretive thing you know it would be about going to the supermarket buying all these um junk food things and then bringing them home and then just eating them in secret it's not something it's not the kind of meals that I was having out with friends and family I just you know I'd I'd eat relatively normal around them and then I'd be eating all this extra food secretly so I suppose it's first of all, made it difficult to even realise that somebody's doing that. And then if you have realised they're doing that, how to then um, bring that up with them? I mean, there's so much guilt and shame associated with binge eating disorders. So what we would generally say is stay clear of talking about any kind of behaviours, stick to feelings, ask them how they are and talk about feelings, not food, because that's what this illness is really about. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. If you'd like to find out more about BEAT, you can go to their website or you can call their helpline, which is 0808-801-0677. Also, if you go to their website, they have a web chat. For more information on Overeaters Anonymous, visit www.oagb.org.uk or call 07798-587-802. See you next time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.